verses 15 to 21. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves has also, have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you haven't opened your Bibles, it might be helpful for you to, to do that, whether it's on your phone or whether it is uh, uh, a hard copy like mine here, the old school Bibles. And uh, it's, it can always be helpful, but especially in some of these uh, epistles, it can be helpful to see and walk along to follow the logic of the author. And that's, that's the case here in the book of Galatians as well. If we were to stop everything we're doing right now and instead have a competition, what place would you finish in? And you say, well, it depends. Are we going to climb that rope right there and see who can get up the fastest? Are we going to have a knitting competition? Any knitters or crocheters here? Are we going to have a Bible trivia competition? And... Probably each one of you has a certain category where you think you could at least get in the top five. There's something you feel like you could you could beat at least Tracy. You could beat someone. You wouldn't finish at the back of the pack. You'd finish near the top. And often we, we like to do this in other uh, contexts. We like to measure ourselves, uh, compare ourselves to other people and how we perhaps are better than, than them, or how we can uh, really do things better, think better, write better. And it could have to do with our intelligence. It could have to do with our morality and our own righteousness. could have to do with our athletic abilities. could have to do with fishing and what, what size fish we can catch. And a couple of weeks ago, I, I was on a Zoom call with a lot of old friends, guys I grew up with, elementary school through middle school through high school we went to church together and it was for someone's 40th birthday it was a, kind of a celebrating time but somewhere along in the com conversation somebody shouted out a question and said who would be among the top five basketball players back in the day of this of this big group of guys and we were throwing out a few names and what was going on in the back of my mind was, somebody please say my name. <laughs> somebody please say my name. And then nobody said my name. And I kept thinking and I thought, well, I really didn't get a lot better until after high school. <laughs> so that was my 
explanation of why my name was not mentioned. But I, I found a sort of value in being seen as one who is one of the best. And you probably have that too when it comes to the superlatives. What are you, what are you best at? What are you better at than other people? Where will you find your worth and your value? Well, it ends up in that conversation about basketball. We were measuring against the wrong standard. We were measuring against one another, which it may have been a little variance here and there. We weren't measuring against LeBron James or Michael Jordan. And had we done that, I mean, we would have all been the same. We would have all been way down at the bottom of list. And when it comes to our own morality and our own righteousness, we still tend to do this. Compare ourselves with other people or even measure ourselves as though this is where our value would be found before God. Am I measuring up to the standard of righteousness that God has for me? And if we were to use the right measurement, we would find there is no comparison at all. We are all far short of the glory of God. In our passage today, we find that there's only one way that we can, in a sense, measure up to the righteous standard that God has set for humanity. Two key words, by faith. We are declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ and by nothing else. So we're going to follow the thought of the text this morning and kind of have three points like, like often I do, but really have one point and then two questions. Because Paul makes a point in light of the story that he's just been telling. He's been telling the story of his own conversion to Christ and by this story, he's showing that he's not preaching man's gospel. He is preaching a gospel which has been delivered to him from God. And then you'll remember he shared the story about his confrontation with Peter and how that was not in line with the gospel. It was out of step with the gospel and really it had greater effects than just being out, out of step with the gospel. He was rejecting the gospel of grace through faith. He was placing a burden on the Gentile believers of following the Jewish law. And now Paul explains and summarizes his point throughout all these stories. So we'll have the one point and then the two questions following. The one point is we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law. Paul repeats that several times. Uh, but first he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And there's some question about, question about what Paul is doing here. Is he quoting some of the Judaizers and they're calling Gentiles, these Gentile sinners, these sinners of the Gentiles, of the nations? And yet the point he's trying to make is that uh, the Jewish people think that they have a sort of advantage because of their own background, their own culture, or their own history with God himself. And it's true, they did have a sort of advantage as, as far as it goes in knowing 
God and who he is. They had the covenants. They had the Old Testament promises. They had the law. They had the, the prophets. They had all these advantages that the Gentiles didn't. And yet Paul says when it comes to righteousness before God, all of that advantage is completely obliterated. The Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, those who were raised in the culture of Judaism are completely on the same ground as Gentile sinners when it comes to righteousness before God. We are declared righteous by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's what justification is. It is a declaration of righteousness before God. It is that you are counted righteous before God, even though you've sinned every day of your life. Now notice what Paul says. How then are we justified? How are we declared righteous before God? And there are two different options as you read this text. You see where it says, most of your Bibles probably say uh, we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Some translations, a few of them actually have, we are justified through the faith of Jesus Christ or we are justified through the faithfulness of Jesus. And when you look at the original language, it's ambiguous. You're not sure which one you should take. But notice the difference between those readings. One would say you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the instrument of faith by which you are receiving justification. The other, through the faithfulness of Jesus, would be pointing to the ground of your justification. The reason you can be justified. So, which one is it? And there are various arguments for each one. I'm a simple man, as I've told you several times before. So if you look in the same passage, notice what uh, Paul says in verse uh, 16. You see these phrases. You know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, we have done this. We have had faith, or we have believed we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. So he's using the same term and using it as a verb for what the Jewish people did. We too, we've said that the Gentiles have to be justified through faith, and we too have come to believe in Jesus Christ so that we will be justified through faith as well. So I think it is we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Not that the other is not true. Jesus' faithfulness is the grounds by which we are saved. It's the grounds by which we are justified. Imputation, our sin being placed upon his uh, body on the tree and his faithfulness being imputed to us. But here, I think, in this passage, it is speaking about the means by which we are justified. We are not justified by the instrument of carrying out the works of the law. Rather, we are justified by the instrument of faith. That is, we trust in Jesus Christ to save us in his work, in his faithfulness. That is how a person is justified. And so there is no advantage, Jew or Gentile. All are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. How many of you were raised in church? I was, most of you were. 
And um, I met with my childhood pastor just this past week. And he was introducing me to somebody else and said, I've known Jim all his life, which is essentially true. I started going to church when I was three or four years old, maybe even younger than that. Maybe my parents took me as a baby. And we were there every time the doors were open. Sunday morning, Sunday school, worship service, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any youth group event, anything, anytime the doors were open, we were pretty much there. And there are many advantages to that. I participated in Bible drill, so I got to memorize scripture from a young age where we'd stand up there, another form of comparing ourselves and being superior, finding the right book at the right uh, place, the quickest, having the, all the memory verses completely locked into your mind. There were countless advantages to growing up in, in church, right? You know the stories, you know the Bible, you know uh, what it means to, to be a part of a church. You know so many things that someone outside of the church that didn't have that opportunity, they don't have those advantages. And yet, if you were to put us side by side, a believer who grew up or someone who grew up in church but wasn't a believer yet, and someone who did not grow up in church, they are on equal footing as far as righteousness before God. No advantage whatsoever when it comes to measuring ourselves against one another. And it's important for us to recall to mind over and over and over again, the instrument of our justification is faith alone. And it feels like that's probably redundant because I've said that a bunch of times and you already know that, right? You already know that you are justified through faith and not by your works. And yet, if you're like me, you often challenge that in your own mind. You often realize how much you haven't measured up and how you want to be better, how you want to measure up, how you find your value in measuring up to others or reaching some standard of righteousness. This is also important for our evangelism to understand people are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't, uh, we're not aiming to convince them or manipulate someone into doing something uh, externally. We want them to embrace Christ by faith. And so it it gives us caution as we're talking to someone about the gospel because we don't want them just to affirm these things outwardly or by, you know, we, don't, we wouldn't do this by handing in a card or by calling someone to the front, but perhaps there are other ways where we emphasize the things people must do in order to be saved. And we have to remember people are justified by faith, by works of the law. No one will be justified. It's not about cleaning up your act in other words, to come to Christ and be saved. It is about embracing by faith the Lord Jesus Christ who has been faithful for your sake. So that's our one point. We are justified by faith alone in Christ Jesus. And here's the first question. But won't that make us more sinful if we don't have to do anything won't that make us more sinful if someone is justified simply by faith? And here it will be helpful to follow along because this is difficult 
to understand. And it, I'm still maybe not completely sure I understand it. I think I've got a decent grasp on it. But if in our endeavor, verse 17, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? And I think what's going on here is Paul anticipating a question or a challenge of antinomianism, of getting rid of the law and, and totally not worrying about your own life before God, whether he's, he's pleased with the things that you do or not. They're worried about people taking this idea of justification by faith and saying, well, now you can sin all you want to because we're justified by faith and not by works of the law. If, in other words, we could say, if we are endeavoring to be justified apart from the law, if then we're found to be sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? Or we could say, if we no longer try to keep the law in order to be justified or as a measuring stick, if we no longer try to keep that, does that mean Christ is enabling us to sin? Is Christ helping us to sin more because he justifies us with no reference to the law as a standard of righteousness. Does the law function in some way to make us less sinful? Does the law function in some way to make us more righteous? Are we simply giving up if we do away with the law as a means of righteousness. Shouldn't we, as Norman Vincent Peale says, shoot for the moon, and even if you miss, you'll fall among the stars. It seems to make sense with our morality and our righteousness, doesn't it? If we could set the standard really hard, like if we all of us teamed up and we committed ourselves, let's set the, the standard of church membership and being in good standing as a church member, super high, as high as we can come up with together. And then we'd all be raised up a couple of notches in our own righteousness, right? Wouldn't that kind of boost us up? We'd be, we'd be getting better. We'd be growing. This is what the Judaizers are thinking here. We need some standard here, and it's got to be really high because we need to be righteous before God. If I aim to be absolutely morally perfect, then won't I at least be better than I was or better than other people? And to this, all these things, Paul says, no way, get it out of your mind. That's not how it works. He says, for if I build back up and try this, this law, this standard of righteousness, if I build that back up and try to attain righteousness by it, then all I do is I prove I can't keep it. All I do is prove myself to be a complete and utter sinner. It's not that those who try to keep the law somehow attain to a level of righteousness that other people can't. All are found to be sinners when it comes to this standard of the law. And that's important to come to terms with in the first place. For, for unbelievers, for any 
of you who are not Christians, it's important for you to come to that point where you despair of yourself, where you say, I have tried to measure up to the law and I, I found I can't do it. And if you haven't come to that point, then you either haven't realized the extreme standard of righteousness demanded by the law or you are completely dis, you're completely illusioned about your own righteousness mm-hmm. and your own abilities. Mm-hmm. It can't be otherwise. If you're really faced with the law of God, you will come to complete despair knowing you cannot keep it. And you have to do that before you can come to Christ. You have to come to that place of despair to know that you are a sinner deserving of the wrath of God, completely hopeless and helpless if left to yourself. But not only do you need to realize that when it comes to salvation, initial salvation and conversion, In your fight against sin, recognize the powerlessness of the law to help you overcome it. It's not not going to work. It's not changing your heart. Now, it's true that you can take certain steps to minimize bad habits, to even break bad habits, and to start good habits, and that may have an appearance of righteousness to yourself or to other people. But it's not changing the heart of the matter. It's not getting to the root of the matter. There may even be wisdom in breaking some of your bad habits and starting good habits. But those things ultimately aren't reaching your heart. They aren't giving you a greater righteousness by doing them. There is no power in the law to change your heart or to make you righteous before God. Second question. Then... If the law won't give us what we need, then what will make us live righteously if the law can't do it? So Paul turns, I think, from justification before God to then living before God with faithfulness. What will make us live righteously then if the law won't do it? If the law doesn't function to make us righteous, What will ensure our right living? And ultimately, I think the concern of antinomianism by the Judaizers here is unfounded. And Paul would say it's unfounded. Because something works better at actually making us better than the law, the works of the law. Paul says, through the law, I died to the law. And this is why it has no... Uh, no more righteous standard which he has to meet. Through the law, he died to the law. The law was applied to him. He found himself wanting, and uh, he was crucified with Christ as all of his sin, all his, his shortcomings to measure up to the law were placed upon Christ. It's as if Paul was there with Jesus dying on the cross, and it's as if you were there too, dying on the cross with Jesus. Through the law, I died to the law in order to live to God, to live in a Godward direction. So Paul actually says the opposite of what the Judaizers are saying. In order to actually live to God, you have to die to the law. You have to die to the law. Die to its demands 
of you, to measure up to what it says. To die to your own strivings of trying to fulfill the law, of trying to attain a moral righteousness by strict obedience to the law. He says he was crucified with Christ. His old self was crucified with Christ, that old part of him that yearned for sin, but also yearned to attain righteousness by the law. That old self died. It is dead. It died with Christ. And he says this is, this is really interesting and amazing and worth pondering for many, uh, many hours. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul says it's not, I died through the law, I was crucified with Christ, and now I don't, it's like I don't even live. I'm not living. Christ is living in me. And now the life I live, and, and that is a reference, he doesn't reference it here, but this is, of course, a reference to the Spirit of Christ indwelling us. Christ is living in us. He is the one living. Any faithfulness that we see, any faith that we see, we can attribute it to the Spirit of Christ within us, a fulfillment of the promises of God in Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, where God will pour out His Spirit, and we will, uh, we will do His, His law. We will carry out His law. We will obey His law in some ways, kind of just mysteriously and, and automatically. He will cause us to walk in His ways. Godward living is not attained by trying to perfectly obey the law, but living to God by faith. Notice this faith in Christ is grounded in the loving, self-giving person and work of Jesus Christ. I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. Godward living is attained by living by faith in Christ. Therefore, in my justification and in my Godward living, I do not nullify the grace of God. He makes this summary statement. I do not nullify the grace of God because works-based justification, a works-based kind of achievement and living would nullify the grace of God. Justification by faith and living by faith are the only things that do not nullify grace. A free gift. This is something God has given freely. It's not something to be earned. It's not something that can be earned were you to try for a million years building yourself up in higher degrees of righteousness. You still could not attain it. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no reason. That's how important and serious this is for Paul. In the movie, The Sixth Sense, how many of you seen that movie? A few of you. In the movie, The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis is a child psychologist who's talking with a, a child and counseling a child because he thinks he sees the ghosts of people who have died. And so Bruce Willis's character go through the whole movie and he begins to 
be intrigued by some of the things that the boy sees and it's it's really spooky so if you're not good with spooky movies creepy movies then i wouldn't recommend uh watching it uh it's also it's not good theology right there are no ghosts so don't take this as your theology lesson for the day it's a simple illustration <laughs> it is entertaining <laughs> if you like creepy mu- movies so in this, in this movie, Bruce Willis's character, spoiler alert, uh-oh, <laughs> comes to the shocking reality that this kid is telling the truth, that he sees the ghosts of these people who have died. And in the climax, he finds something even more shocking, that he is one of the ghosts who this little boy has seen and has been talking to him as if he were alive the whole time. It's this shocking realization on Bruce Willis's character part. I've been dead this whole time. And in a weird way, this is the spiritual realization we need to come to. For those of us who have converted and come to Christ, when you face your fear that you won't measure up, when you face temptation and sin and failure, you look back at your conversion and you say, I've been dead this whole time. I died with Christ. That's not, that's not me anymore. I don't have to strive to attain righteousness anymore. I don't have to live in sin I don't have to give in to the old self who either wants to measure himself by righteousness or who wants to plunge himself into temptation and sin. I died years ago. That is not me anymore. And I was crucified with Christ and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But some of you might have the mindset in the old Monty Python skit, I'm not quite dead yet. (laughs) You're still living as though you have to give in to the sinful self and temptation. You're still living as though you have to measure up to a certain standard of righteousness. And Paul is saying, no, I died. And now Christ lives in me. Consider the alternative, living by faith in Christ who loved you and gave himself up for you. Living a life of faith which says to God, I believe you. Everything you say, I believe you. I trust in what you say. Even if it doesn't make sense, I believe what you say about the world. I believe what you say about my sin and my own moral failures. I believe what you say about who I am, and about how I can be justified, I believe in you. I rest in you. I'm trusting in you. And I'm I'm banking on all those things. All my chips are on the table, and they're on the spot that says Christ. Living by faith, consider, is marked by the newness of life. Your old self is gone, 
And now you're living a new life in Christ. It's marked by freedom. You don't have to attain to moral perfection or even a certain level of righteousness. You are free in Christ. And it is also marked by Christ enablement. Christ is living your life. Christ is living in you. Living by faith acknowledges and recognizes those spiritual realities. When you stand before God, the great judge of all the earth, how will he measure all your achievements? How will he measure my basketball playing abilities? How will he measure your intelligence or your business accomplishments or your parenting skills or your uh, writings or your uh, whatever it may be, your moral strivings, all of these things ultimately will be as anthills before the mountain of righteousness that is required by God. But by faith alone, we receive the Mount Everest of righteousness required by God. Praise the Mount, I'm fixed upon it, Mount of God's redeeming love. And then another amazing thing is that all your accomplishments which have been done in faith, empowered by the Spirit of God, will also count. And God will look upon them with pleasure, not because you did them perfectly, but because you did them through faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God doing them through you, and He will be pleased with you. So, brothers and sisters, go in the newness and the freedom of life by faith in Jesus Christ, knowing it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives within you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word from Paul, from your word, and we thank you for the great truths of grace that we find in it. That Jesus Christ, our Savior, has measured up in thought, word, and deed, in faith, in righteousness, that Jesus Christ, you have measured up for us. That you have taken all of our sins upon your back as you died on the cross and you have placed all your righteousness, all your faithfulness upon us and that we stand before you, God, as completely righteous in your sight. Fill us with joy, God, at the pleasure that you now look upon us with, that we would walk in freedom that we would walk toward you in a God direction by faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.